All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 36 of the KISS FAQ podcast. Joining me today are Ken, 69th Blizzard. Welcome back, Ken. Lonnie, St. Louis KISS. And Marcus Almighty, Mark. Thank you, gentlemen. And thank you, everyone, to listening to the last episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As is always the case with these, if you've got something to say, come on on over to the KISS FAQ message board and jump into the uh, topic that we put up about it and discuss it. Or find us on Facebook under KISS FAQ Podcast and do the same there. We'd love to hear from you, your opinions on what we talk about, um, as we've all got opinions because we're KISS fans. So today's episode is a timely one, the month of September. We are celebrating Crazy Nights, the greatest album ever ever recorded. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Kiss Alive. And that's going to show up looking backwards, I think. But right. re- released September the 10th, 1975. It is, for most fans, I would think, the quintessential Kiss Live recording, um, regardless of how much of it really is live other than perhaps Peter's drums. Um, a moot point because it's uh, generally considered to be just a really good live representation of what the band were about in 1975. So let's jump straight in to Kiss Alive. And uh, first time you heard Kiss Alive, how did you get the album? Where did it fall in your, I guess, your Kiss fandom? Um, Lonnie. Um, I got Kiss Alive pretty early on in my fandom. I I remember deciding which one to get because I'd go to the record store, you know, and there'd be Kiss Alive, and I'd look at the sound, the the tracks on that, Kiss Alive too, and I'd look at the tracks on that. Being a kid in the '80s, you know, I, I didn't get it in the '70s on vinyl right away. My first copy of it was on CD. Um, probably knows about. 10 or 11, I guess. And, you know, it was before the remaster. It was a big double disc, you know, original CD release. Which, and well, Exactly, but, but it was like, you know, it was thick. Remember how they used to package the double CDs? Yep. Oh, yeah, I got that one. Yeah. That one's been pruned down into a single. Right. So I had, I had that, and just... I remember... I can remember listening to it, and, you know, I'd heard all the... I think maybe not all the songs, majority of the songs on there, because I had Double Platinum, one of my very first Kiss albums that I owned. And but hearing the ener- the raw energy of those songs was like hearing them again for the first time. And I and I think that's something that most Kiss fans can relate to, um, be- because they don't sound the same on those recordings that they do on the live. And just that energy and the punch behind those songs really struck me right away. And I remember, I remember getting the vinyl the first time too, was it was also an experience with getting, um, you know, opening it up and, and seeing it even, and even, even in a larger form. And I think we all can relate to just laying on my bedroom floor, playing the album and looking at the pictures inside like the vinyl and, and the, the original cd release didn't have like all the oh, it, it did it not have the have, like, didn't have the booklet all the you know verbiage and, and pictures and everything in there but for me you know i remember so when i bought the cd itself see that that was it that I, was I bought it. the cd itself i didn't you know it, it was great don't get me wrong but then when i bought the vinyl and playing that vinyl and look and looking at it and just seeing Kiss in their their glory of 1975, and being and, and people always talk about Alive the way Eddie Kramer set it up that that it feels like you're in the audience with that with that crowd noise around you how it, it and it's not like the steady crowd noise you get on on some later Kiss releases that it's just definitely you can tell it's just pumped in you really feel like you're immersed in the audience how the the audience rises and it, and it fades down at certain points too it really 
is you can close your eyes and just feel like you're at the Kiss show. Is is what a live, especially when I got the vinyl release and I'm sitting there laying on my floor looking at the pictures of that. Um, and you know, it's one of those it's one of those CDs that 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 propelled me from not just a Kiss fan, but just brought it up a, a, another few rungs on the ladder of of how much I love this band and how much and how I could I could take this album and, and tell my friends that, you know, I've told you I'm a Kiss fan, but this right here, this is what you have to listen to and you you would understand it. It was, it was something you could you could hold in your hand and say, this is what going to a Kiss concert feels like and, and this is what, this is the best representation of the band, not only back then, but I mean, still for 40 years, it, to me, it is still the best representation if I'm going to tell any of my friends or anyone I meet what kisses go listen to a lot. And I think that's something we can all relate to, but you know, but hearing that album for the first time, um, not only on CD, but then listening to it, like getting it, uh, I guess I was about 16 or something when I finally got it on vinyl. Um, it was right around the time I saw the band on the reunion tour. And at that point, seeing the band on the reunion tour, I'm just kissing geek fandom at that point too so i'm 16 17 years old in high school spending any 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 amount of money i can get it's going straight to the vinyl store down the street and just pumping it into the band so you know kiss kiss alive to me has has great great memories of, of listening to it on cd for the first time and then rediscovering it six or seven years later on vinyl and still to this day is my go-to for the band nice ken what about you well alive was my second live Kiss album, so since I bought a live two first, and then um, you know going back to catalog and uh, I pick up a live. And um, the thing about live is, like Lonnie was saying, it feels like a real show from beginning to end. Um, I listened to it yesterday, last two days, and the, you know this thing is it's just a perfect representation of Kiss live. You know, live. Um, the other thing is when I listen to it and as in comparing to live too, um, it flowed much better. It's, it seemed live, the raps in between songs made, you know, it, it just worked. It seemed like a real complete show where alive too, for instance, was more to me, felt more piecemealed, just live out, you know, songs stuck together. Sometimes you get some rap in between, but it was really minimal. Um, it didn't have that same feeling um, that a live has. So uh, I remember picking up. Uh, the thing I liked about it too is the, you know, the, the little personalization uh, when you open up the. They're victims. The, the gatefold, <laughs> and uh, there's the, you know, the little, the notes, um, the notes inside, and uh, little notes to the fans. Uh, which is a nice idea who, who came up with. I can't remember who came up with it, but uh, that's a nice personal touch. And, yeah, my uh, my dear lovers, uh, dear victims, dear earthlings, and hey, cat people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that was... At 10 years old, I thought that was really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, though, the beginning right there is the beginning of the uh, their altar, you know, personalizations of themselves, you know, the demon, the cat man, this, you know, star child. So that, I think that is right there is the beginning of that thought where that wasn't thought of before. They were just kind of had their makeup on and were these crazy characters. But at that point they were starting, okay. Yeah. And that's, that's I, a, I that's a good point. Character. You are that character. And, because what you have right before alive is Glickma Marks, of course, comes into the picture. And out goes the old, the original Kiss crew. In comes a new crew, and all of a sudden, there's like a shift, you know, of next level shift for the band. So, like you just said, the branding starts emerging with Starchild Demon, um, the characterization. So that's that's all. That's a, that's a really good thing to point out. Yeah. So, um, to me, it's the, probably the greatest live album of all time. I know it's. I think I read something in the news yesterday about Rolling Stone or wherever I saw it and said it was number five on their 
Rolling, Rolling Stone said that? It was in the, I think it was number five on the list. Uh, I think it was five. Wow. You can prove me wrong. But uh, I think that's what it was. And so, but for me, it's it's number one. Yeah, it's just a great album. Damn right. Had you heard uh, the studio albums? Uh, I mean, obviously, Alive is Cold from Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, Dressed to Kill. Had you heard those regularly before hearing Alive? Uh, uh, not not totally, because I think uh, one of my first ones also, besides getting Alive 2, uh, I think one of my other first albums I got was Double Platinum. Yep. And that's where I got some of those songs from, so I, I became familiar in that way. Uh, I think I had Double Platinum before I had the first three albums, and I kind of slowly went, you know, back. Yeah, and that, that's a similar boat for me, obviously, in 85, with me coming on board then, and Asylum. I went back, I remember, I got Double Platinum first, um, so those versions of those songs always kind of stick in my head, and then, because it had a lot of songs on it, I got Alive too, and then I got Alive. I got Alive too before Alive, just because it had some studio songs, you know, that I didn't recognize from all the other ones. So, you know, limited money, it was like more bang for buck. So to this day, the Alive versions of all the songs off the first three albums are the ones that I hear in my head when I think of those song titles, you know, rather than people who grew up with the band and got the albums sequentially and became very familiarized. I think that makes a big difference to how I how I kind of approach Kiss's music, that I always hear the Alive soundtrack in my head. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people who, who backtrack followed like that same formula of getting double platinum, you know, just because it had, okay, well, if I'm going to rediscover the, the back catalog, well, why don't I buy this? It has 20 tracks on it. Yeah, um, to then, total, you know, total winner. Getting the Alives before going back and getting those studio albums. Mark, what about you? Well, um, I remember I got, this is actually my first actual Kiss vinyl album I ever got. I think I was about 12, and my older sister bought it for me for Christmas, actually. Um, I remember when I got it, um, I was immediately taken by the front cover. Cause, I mean, being my first Kiss album is quite a, you know, shot to the system at first. When you see it, you're like, wow, you know. Um, but more importantly for me, I found that, I was at that point, when I first started getting into listening to music, I was a big headphone listener. And uh, I remember that album made a huge impact on me when I slapped on the headphones and turned on, turned it up nice and loud. And just when you close your eyes, that record is a really great example of feeling like you're kind of in the crowd listening to it. Um, it had a really, like a really strong impact that way for me. Um, and I hadn't had any of the studio albums beforehand. This was actually my first Kiss record of like any sort, so I had yet to hear anything from the studio side of things. And uh, yeah, I, I, it, it really impacted me pretty strongly as far as uh, as far as that album goes. I mean, to this day, I still think it's one of my one of my favorite albums. I mean, I know Ken just said that it's, he thinks it's his the best live album of all time. I respectfully will say that it's my number two record of all t live album of all time. I hold all the world's a stage rush number one. As I knew the you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I, I do like that one. Yeah. I mean, those two, I think have a, a similarity in the sense that they're both one of those records where you put on the headphones and you feel like you're in the crowd. I mean, rush is a victim of the same thing as kiss where the later records I found were just not didn't have the same impact. Like it just seemed like there was a lot more just you know pasted together later on, and there's a lot more obvious editing than the first albums that they did of that type, right? So, um, yeah, I, I I really like that, and I mean even to this day, Alive One is one of those records that I got so into, and even when I started getting into more like learning about audio production and stuff like that, I was really gung ho about learning some of the techniques that Eddie Kramer used in terms of, you know, miking the drums, cassettes, and what he did for different kinds of uh, sounds that he got. Because that, I think I must have said it before on one of the other podcasts, that that drum set sound is very, uh, very much a, a sound from that era. Like, he never, Peter Chris never had that drum sound on album 
live after that one. There's just something about the way they mic'd it and the way everything was on stage that gave it a really unique sound, and I really enjoyed that. And I mean, even the whole pyro bit, how the explosions turned out. I mean, the, an interesting thing. If, I don't know if you guys heard it, but this just uh, passed. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. On Chris Jericho had Paul Stanley on, and he was talking about Alive and talking about openly how when they made that record that they had to go back and overdub actual cannon fire for the pyro because when you when you try to mic an actual pyro shot on stage it just turns out it sounds like a cap gun because the microphones can't handle the the sound pressure right so i mean he's pretty open now about the amount of overdubbing and stuff they had to do to make that record sound the way it did but i mean in his, in his own words it it was done to make it sound more like what they envisioned and what they sounded like on stage i mean they had to do that to make it more authentic to their ears right so and i understand that now more now like i said having gone through all this sort of uh learning about the whole audio side of things so it's, it's a great album the live one has really had a big impact on me not only as a musician but also in, in terms of learning audio production and stuff like that so it's a great record i recommend it to anybody yeah, so you, you kind of get into what would be, I guess, the next logical question is where does Alive stand for you today? I mean, for some people, it's going to be 40, 40 years on for hearing it. For me, it's, you know, what, 30 years on hearing it. Lonnie, what, about five years from when you were 16? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, Alex isn't here to pick on Tom, Tom the young one. <laughs> you know how how has it grown on you or not grown on you? I guess in, in all the years. And uh, Mark, follow on from what you're saying. You're saying it's your number two favorite live album behind Rush's. You know, I mean, that's a that's a, another great live album. Um, yeah. And I'm going to put it up there with. I mean, some of my other favorite live albums. You know, would be uh, Judas Priest, Unleashed in the Studio, and uh, probably Iron Maiden's Live After Death. Those are my kind of two other live albums that I listen to on a regular basis still. But for me, it remains the best live album. And I never got into some of the other ones that came out around this time because 75, 76, you've got Frampton Comes Alive, which is a similarly important live recording. Um, and then Bob Seger, you know, that, so what was it, Silver Bullet Live or uh, yeah. Live Bullet? You know, so in incredible live albums from these bands who hadn't necessarily had successful studio album careers. And I, I think the same goes kind of for Rush, um, unless I'm thinking the wrong live album. 2112 was the, it broke for them, and that was the record before their first one. So unlike Kiss, where they did their three solo, three, three studio records, and then they hit big with a live, Rush kind of hit big with 2112, and then they made all the world's a stage, so that's the only kind of difference, but kind of the same thing. Right, and Frampton had had several you know, solo albums out, and his one immediately prior had had a minor hit on it, very similar to how Dress to Kill's situation sets up Kiss for theirs, yeah. but uh, Lonnie, what about you on that? You know, I still, it's still my go-to, as far as live recordings go. Um, I think I listen to that more than any other live recording. I still listen to Ozzy Osbourne's tribute quite a bit, um, that's still one of my favorite live recordings. Just probably, probably for more sentimental reasons, just because I got that as a young kid too. And those are my first. I think I had that before I had Blizzard of Oz and um, Diary of the Madman. That one's big for me. And um, another live album. I, I like. We've talked. We've talked about this on the show a couple weeks ago. That that Guns N' Roses live album that came out in about '99. How they kind of pieced. Um, pieced um, songs together from the classic lineup of the band. Granted, it doesn't sound like a show like a live does. It's more pasted together, like more like a, like a live two or, or um, a live three is. But that's a good representation of what they sounded like in that, in that era and at that time um, for a band that I never got to see live. So that's important to me. But Alive is still the... It's still my go-to live album, not only for Kiss, but for any kind of live recording. There's, I mean, the other, those two I mentioned are, are big for me, but there's still no comparison as far as the live album goes. Ken, how about you? Yeah, well, yesterday, like I said, yesterday or day before, last couple of days, is the first time I've listened to 
live in a while uh, from be beginning to end the whole way through and uh, you know it just it was it was just brought back, brought, brought back memories uh, of listening to it back and way back and uh, and starting you know remembering how good it really was so it's it's the number one for me. Um, the second one I listen to is Alive Two. <laughs> so, yeah, again, it's your personal history, uh, isn't it? So yeah, and I have no desire to listen to Alive Three or Alive Four. Um, maybe the next Alive would be Unplugged uh, too. Also, that I would listen to. Uh, that's that's re that's really good too in, in its own way. But uh, Alive is the one. Um, uh, Mark was saying about the Rush. Uh, I had that way back. I think my first Rush album was Xanadu. Uh, not Xanadu, I mean, I Fear of the Kings. Uh, when that came out, I was looking for 2112. Went down to the store, it was sold out. And they said, oh, but they just released a new one. So I picked up a Fear of the Kings <laughs> and waiting for the other one. Um, but uh, and then uh, I, I bought the uh, their Rush, their live album. That's a real good one too. That really says I need. I still need to get the CD of that one. But Alive is number one for me, and it's always going to be the go-to album. Farewell to Kings, my least favorite Rush album. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I, Hemispheres is my favorite. So. Oh, I love that record. Hemispheres is. Yeah, all right, getting back to Kiss. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's let's talk some of our standout tracks on on this album. Uh, I'm going to throw it out there immediately. Deuce. Is my alt? It's one of my all-time favorite Kiss songs. Period. The live version of Deuce, uh, regardless of it being the first song on this album, is the song. Uh, you know, Deuce for me is it. If I've got one song that I want to hear in concert every time I go to a Kiss concert, and Gene and Paul, I hope you're listening to me. I want to hear Deuce every time. It fits all your requirements for a set list now. It's a classic, so there's no excuse for you never performing it. But if I'm in the audience, I want to hear Deuce. Simple as that. If I if I need something to pick me up, I'm in a shitty mood or something, throw on a live for a song, straight out the bat, boom. Instant mood change. So, um, second and th third ones off this album, um, Come On and Love Me. And again, one of my all-time favorite Kiss songs. It just has balls where the studio version does not. It's a, a great performance. Um, don't need to go into any of the technical details, really, of the construction of Alive, though we'll get to that uh, shortly. And Parasite. Absolutely love those three. Um, give me give me those or give me death. Mark, what, are, what would be yours? Well, actually, to be honest with you, um, for the longest, longest time, whenever I would put put a, a live on because I had the, the vinyl copy for the longest time before I actually got the CD and what I always found that I always put on is I would never listen to a live really from the top because the one side of the record that really hit me hard and I loved it and I would listen to just all the time when I put it on was side three which was the whole watching you hundred thousand years black diamond like those three together like full tilt in the house when the parents were gone you know that was like heaven for me because i loved those songs i loved watching you as a song just to begin with and you know hundred thousand years that drum solo i mean you know you ain't no neil peart but still i mean i thought that whole thing was really well done like well thought out how they pieced that together with paul coming in doing his rap getting the crowd into it and i mean black diamond is like one of my favorite all-time songs that kiss ever did and that version of it to me is my holy bible version of that song and I mean, just that ending in itself with that whole pyro bit at the end and everything. I mean, when, you know, the, you, I, I remember having the neighbors knocking when I lived in the apartment once <laughs> when, when I was putting that on because they were just, they thought something was going on in the apartment when that was going on, you know. But, I mean, I just loved that. Side three is my side for a live one. I mean, uh, I mean, I love the whole thing, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, if I was to pick one side that I could listen to from that record, it would be that one. And, and it's been mentioned about the miking of Peter's drums on this, whether they were miked in the studio or whether they were the drum tracks that were actually recorded at one of the five shows. That drum solo is bombastic. That actually sounds fantastic on a recording. And I think it's probably, from Kiss, one of the few drum solos that sounds absolutely outrageously outstanding on vinyl, whereas none of them 
other ones seem to capture the real character. And yeah, Peter isn't a highly technical drummer. He doesn't have to be. You know, for what he was doing, he was doing it perfectly for the material that he was drumming for, and that drum solo just fits in so perfectly. Ken? Yeah, for me, the songs that uh, I love off Alive are, first of all, Black Diamond. Mm. That was just, it's really one of my all-time favorite songs anyway. Uh, but the live version of it is just the best. Um, and like Mark was saying, I think it's after that one, you have the big cannon kind of boom. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy how, how loud that is. But uh, you're like, whoa, that must be great to be at that concert. Um, uh, so that was one of them. Um, uh, and Julian, I thought you were going to say, you said you needed something to lift you up, and I thought you were going to talk to Colt Jin, because you need something to lift you up. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, but uh, Firehouse is another one, uh, because on the album, studio version, it's, I think it's, it's, you know, it's a little too slow, mm -hmm. and they picked it up in the, uh, on the live version, and, and it's much better, much better there, so... I like Firehouse there, and also like um, uh, 100,000 Years, um, like Mark also, um, two of his songs, I, I matched two of his songs. Uh, I like the break in the middle and, and the, the whole bit there, uh, you know, you feel all right, you know. I just, yeah, it's I the, it's, it's the rock and roll preacher, Paul Stanley the preacher. Yeah, yeah. You know, what is it, uh, Steve Marriott kind of style uh, of stage, stage man, so... Fantastic. So those are really the probably the standouts for me. Lonnie. Yeah. Um, for me, it's "Come On and Love Me" is that's just the way that song is supposed to sound. Like Julian said, it just it just gave that song the life that it didn't have on on "Dress to Kill." Um, that one and she with the ace with the with the jam at the end. And the Ace Frehley solo to cap it off. I remember I was, and then um, just a third, my third favorite song out there. I have to go with Black Diamond also. Just the way that I mean, I don't think anybody's gonna argue with about Black Diamond. How Black Diamond said, sounds on a live. But I remember I uh, had a live on in my car driving a kid home from high school. I was a senior and I was driving a freshman home, and I had a live on, and she and and. We were listening to She, and he didn't know anything about Kiss or anything. This is like 1997. He didn't know the first thing about Kiss. And we're listening to it, and the solo comes on, the, the jam at the end of the song, and the solo. And he's like, what was that? I mean, he, I mean, he didn't know anything about it, but he's like, that was incredible. And I was telling him what it was, and, you know. And then I'm taking him home a couple days later, and I don't know, I was listening. We were listening the kiss probably at the time of course but i forget what i was listening to he's like put put on what you were listening to the other day <laughs> that guitar solo at the end that was unbelievable put that back on so i mean even even for a guy who didn't know the first thing about the band just just hearing that that solo at the end was just like holy crap that's you know i mean it, I mean, it struck it struck with him and he didn't know anything about the band or anything he probably thought i was a 1997 thought i was like dork for listening to Kiss every day. is probably tired of listening to it every day on the way home from school, but just hearing that and hearing the musicianship on that song struck a chord with them. So, um, for me, my three favorite songs, so on a live have to be She, Come On, Love Me, and Black Night. Nice. She is really cool, uh, the ending. But mm -hmm. this goes into my next question to kind of consider on this album, the least favorite tracks. And for me, She, <laughs> She up until that point, you know, because the outro jam is fantastic into Ace's solo, obviously very condensed. I am just not a fan of She these days. Um, God, I don't know anyone in Alabama. Um, so She she is my least favorite, and Cole Jin is a close second. I am not a fan of those. Yet, that seems really weird because Colgin is just so central to the rock and roll party that Paul Stanley's preaching about it during the show, so you know, color me a hater then, I guess. Um, Lonnie, is there any track on there that just does not do it for you? Because, it, again, this is the best of the first three albums, essentially. So it's very hard to kind of say, well, I like this one less than the other one. Yeah, they're all, it, it, they're no like, dogs. 
it's you know to, to say there's a song on a live you don't like you know it's, it's kind of it's kind of a difficult thing to do because because it is so great from start to finish but i think i'm going to echo you a little bit with with cold gin um it's not one of my favorite kiss songs maybe because i'm i'm burnt out on it too um considering how much they had played it they haven't played it a whole lot in recent recent tours but considering how much they played it from the reunion through farewell Granted, that's 15 years ago. It's farewell, but I think it blows your mind a little bit. But it just kind of got burnt out on it, I think, um, over the years. And um, I'm a really big fan of Got to Choose. I really like Got to Choose, especially the version on MTV Unplugged. I think that's fantastic. But the the version on Alive, I'm not as big of a fan of. Um, even Even though I like the song, I just, I just, I don't think that the alive version is as good of a representation of it ex- that that you can get, because I think the MTV Unplugged version of it just puts that version of it to shame. If I'm going to listen to Got the Choose, it's not going to be that version. Mark, you going to step up and say that there's a song on this album that doesn't do it for you? Um, well, it's definitely hard to say that there is one, but honestly, I, I think that for me, it's always been the pairing of got to choose into, I mean, sorry, what am I talking about? Yeah. They got to choose into hotter than hell. I've never really liked that whole, those two there. I mean, for some reason I thought got to choose was okay. I mean, I like, and for some reason I seem to like it better on, on the record. Than I liked on the live. I mean, it's, I don't know why I didn't like it as much on, on the live record. I mean, the studio version I thought was, I don't know. It just, I never understood why I liked it better on studio than on the live version, but that song never really took to me too much. Um, Hotter Than Hell, I mean, on record, that was always kind of a plodding, slow tune. I mean, it's better on a live, but I always thought that once they got past Hotter Than Hell, Firehouse, that two, those two there, and they got past Gene's Firebit, I always thought that, that then the show started rolling from that point on. I mean, it started out well with Deuce and Strutter, and you know that's such a great one to to start off the show with. But once once they got past that, I think the main problem with it on record is that you know when you do when you see Firehouse, you have Gene doing the fire bit, and it has much more of an impact if you're watching it on video. I'm guessing than you you know than it is on audio when you're just sitting there hearing this police siren horn going on and on and on and on, and you're waiting for it to end, and you're like. You know, if you never knew how their show was or why that was happening, you're thinking, well, why the hell is it going on so long here? You know, and I just thought that, the, that, that those two there at the end were just, where am I weak? Like I said, there's a, 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 saying that something's weak on this record is really hard. I mean, I think the whole record is pretty strong, but I, I, I'm going to say that I don't, I'm not into that, that. I guess those three, let's just say that. Those three at the end there, like the whole got to choose, Hotter than Hell firehouse sequence. Everything after that is just to be like perfect. I mean, those three years are kind of one, you know, if I had a bathroom break, if I was at that show, I'd probably be there. So. <laughs> if that show even existed, that is. Yeah, exactly. Ken. Uh, I think Rip and Destroy. <laughs> no, <laughs> just kidding. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I was thinking about it and. I, I can't think of a, a song that doesn't fit on here. I just can't name one. Um, I can almost point to Got to Choose, but uh, it all works. The whole thing works. I, I mean, I just listened to it, like I said, yesterday. I listened to it from beginning to end. I, did, I didn't skip forward <laughs> or it, anything. It's, I, it's I not an album where anyone would skip forward, is it? I mean, no. as has been said, it's it's... That first, uh, those first three albums on steroids, the material it's sped up to the right tempo in some places where the stuff is maybe plodding on the studio album in live in full fury. It's moving along, rock and roll all night gets a guitar solo, right? So, um, exactly. You know, she gets a nice appendage of a a jam section. It it's 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 really hard, I I, I guess to to kind of fault it. If we were to try and improve Kiss Alive, 
and that's looking at the few songs remaining from the first three albums that weren't um, included on it, what would be the one or two songs that you really feel should have been on Kiss Alive to represent the best of those first three? And that's obviously going to be highly subjective. And I don't think anyone would in their right minds choose Love Theme from Kiss. Damn it, that song wasn't on there, you know. Um, but out of the rest of the material, Mark, is there any of the the catalog that you really think is an egregious omission? Yes, there's one song that I always wish they would have put on there. I mean, I guess years later they kind of kind of rectified it. Is a uh, I always would have loved to have Room Service. I really love yeah. that song, and I think that that song would have. They didn't. I mean, it's, it was high energy. It's a really great song. Just even in the studio version, I can. I mean, the version they had on the uh, that live thing that came out that we wanted the best later on there. I mean, that that again is subject to how much that's actually really live, right? I mean, it's obviously Paul Stanley singing it years and years later, but I really love that song. I mean, if they would have did a version of that on a live one, I, I think that that would have made me a pretty happy camper i mean uh, other than that song i can't really think of too many others that are missing on there i mean there's songs i like that i mean just personally i would have maybe would have liked but i don't think they would have helped the set list all i mean i always liked uh like all the way and stuff like that but i don't think that would have fit on what they were doing i just think room service is the one song that to me is missing that's the only one i could think of ken how about you I would have added Let Me Know. Um, I really love the way they have that live break in there. And, and uh, that's, you know, so different than the, the album version. So that one would be probably the one that I would have picked. Yeah, and that to, one totally exists uh, from the King Biscuit uh, Alive show. So it was yeah. obviously worked on it around the same time and maybe omitted from it. And that performance is just, I was listening to that this morning, I'm like, I love that, that, that performance. Um, you know, good pick there. Yeah, that's it. Lonnie, without, without repeating the two choices already. Without uh, repeating what Ken said, because that's what I was going to say. I'm not going to get to pick now, because Ken's already uh, thrown out the one I would have gone for. That was my go-to for that, too, because I just yeah. said, I was going to echo what both of you said about the King Biscuit recording of it, it's just... That's, that would have fit in very, very nicely. But to to say something else, just to, to be different here, um, I would go with with All The Way, actually. I really like the way, and, and I know the song, it's a song that they never played live, but, um, I mean, up until 2004, but when they did play it in 2004, I think it sounds great live. And it's a song that they ignored back in the day, but I think it would have sounded, it would have sounded good um to get a good live version of it back in the 70s would would have given new life to that song kind of like the way um firehouse gave new life to a song that kind of plots along on the album so i I think that all the way could fit in nicely on the album but um ken stole my thunder with all the way yeah and mark's (laughs) pick on room service you know both of those are are good ones and there's not a whole lot that they're actually performing around this time that didn't make it onto the album i mean strange ways had a few i think performances in early 75 so that's not even during the dress to kill tour um two-timer had a few performances but come on I, i think most people will agree that's probably better left off um ladies in waiting i know they did that on the actual alive tour um i don't know if they did it earlier than that and then obviously kissing time i think mainline was tried out as well so there's not a lot to pick for uh from the remaining tracks so maybe it's just a matter of you know not messing with perfection if they did a deluxe edition what would you want to see them do um lonnie yeah i I think that king biscuit stuff would have to be you know included on that um a deluxe version of alive is you know, I, th- I think it's, we talk about it on the show all the time, is Kiss kind of missing the boat. I think I think a deluxe version of Alive should have came out, or actually should be coming out today, because music comes out on Fridays now. Um, I think a 40th anniversary edition of Alive should be coming out today. Um, I There's no reason for it not to be. I 
mean, it's September. You know, Kiss has always been noted to have big releases in the fall. There, there's no, there's really no logical reason for it, unless they don't have the rights to some of the material to put on there. But, you know, and pe- people have always talked about it, that is there a unedited version, full length of one of those shows, whether it be Cobo Hall, whether it be, you know, New Jersey, whether it be Iowa. Does, do one of those exist, you know, buck up and, and go out there and get it if it, if it does and, and release it to the public. Or maybe they're embarrassed and they don't want to because you might see how much the album really was cleaned up before, before it was released. You know, and, and that and that might be the case more than any more than anything. That might be why we've never seen a deluxe version of a live. But, but there really should have been a deluxe version of a live 40th anniversary of their landmark album that brought them from, you know, a cult following to national stardom. So I, I you know, we we always talk about Kiss missing the boat on the show, and I think today today is a prime example of them missing the boat that there should have been. But I think definitely the. If you were going to do it, though, I think those King Biscuit recordings would be a must. And if somehow you could find and not and it, find a uh, you know a unedited show of one of those one of those shows that they recorded, but but like I said, maybe it's that it would be too noticeable how much it was cleaned up. Yeah, you know the King Biscuit stuff is kind of a given. What I would love to do is what a few other bands have kind of done and taken a seminal series of recordings. Where they did the Kiss Alive 1975 to, what was it, to 2000, box set in 2006, see, that was Alive 1, 2, 3, 4. Um, I would love to see a five CD set of all five shows that were recorded. Just leave them. If they're not perfect, it's not about them being perfect. It's about the historical nature of those recordings. Because so little of them is actually reflected in the finished product, they go into the studio, they've got maybe the drum tracks, and they're re-recording everything else. I mean, they've got basses phasers all the all the the stuff to make a pseudo live album it's just it's a studio construction and while it presents the band perfectly for what they wanted to think they sounded like live or wanted to have you remember them by let's let's hear the raw you know the official bootlegs of those five shows um let's have the alive dvds from detroit all three nights in one set unedited you know, the 27th is the one that remains unreleased and does exist. You know, so throw those in. Throw in the King Biscuit Alive. Um, and then I, I don't know how much else there might be that was recorded around that time. That would make a really nice box with commentary from Gene and Paul, um, Peter and Ace, if they would be willing to do something. If Gene and Paul would be willing to pay them. Yeah, well, they should get paid. Uh, if, if Kiss is getting paid, you're going to be getting money, then Ace and Peter should get some money for spending some time talking about it and put together a really nice book of some of the best photographs from that tour, you know, like a super expanded version of that booklet that was included in it. You and know. not a three-foot-by-five-foot book. Yeah, not a three-foot-by-five-foot, <laughs> you know, costing $4,000. I mean, th- th- this box set that I've just envisaged in my head is probably up to 200 bucks already, you know, so, you know, let's not put it into the four figures. But that, yeah. that, that for me, would be a, a super deluxe edition if they're not going to, you know, go in and just do a regular kind of two-CD set, tack on King Biscuit at the end, have someone from Kerrang! write an essay, uh, and package it up as an extended edition. Have I missed anything? Mark, anything else no, you'd, I, you'd I, like to I, say? I honestly, I honestly think you nailed it totally on the head with that, because um, not long ago, Yes just released something almost exactly like what you described. They released this set called Progeny, where there was five or six shows from their Close to the Edge tour that they did, and they released them as is, mistakes and all. There was even a part during one of the recordings where they were having problems with their with their uh, connections, and you're a taxi driver's CB come through Rick Wakeman's gear during his keyboard solos. I mean, talk about leaving it warts and all. I mean, I'm very sure that they Kiss could do the exact same thing. I think it's a great idea that they should take all the raw recordings from those shows that they used for a live, leave them as is, box them up, like you said, put that King Biscuit stuff in maybe as a bonus, put in those three uh, Kobo Hall shows on as DVD extras. 
I mean, you know, 300 bucks, I'd, I'd pay for it like now. No problem for that. I mean, uh, those are the kind of things that I think people want. I mean, th- th- what I think Kiss sort of doesn't seem to understand is that people are going out here and they were back in the day buying all these bootlegs of these shows. And these bootleg shows that were far from perfect. I mean, you know, Paul knocks over his microphone stand during yeah. one song. This happens, that happens. But people love it. People talk about this thing as like, this is my favorite bootleg of all time. And now, do you honestly think that something like that's going to prevent somebody from buying, the, like, you know, what we just described? No way. I think people would go out and grab it, especially diehard Kiss fans. In a minute, we'll go out and grab this stuff. I think that they're, I don't know, I think, let, let, let's just say Paul and Gene obviously are just have too much, uh, are just too overly critical of that. I think that they envision their audience sort of differently than what they actually are. They're like, oh, they're going to they're gonna knock us for putting a recording out that has, you know, me missing two words in a song or something. Like, I mean, give me a break. I mean, you know, Gene screws up whole songs, but people still love it, you know? Who, who cares? I mean, I think that it's... What you described is the ideal thing that should have been on. And I agree with Lonnie. They missed the boat. They should have had it out today because it is the proper time to do it. And I mean... Come on, I mean, Kiss is such an iconic band. I'm pretty sure the, the record label would have played ball with them on that. I mean, it's one of their biggest releases of their whole career. I mean, why wouldn't you want to commemorate it somehow, you know? You know, I think and, I think you, you just touched on something there, the biggest release of their career. I think that still remains true. Um, looking at some of their sales figures, as of June the 29th, 19, uh, 1979, they had shipped three th- three million. 172,000 copies of this album. Now that's more than any of the studio albums ever got. This is the Kiss album in terms of sales figures. So just think of what it sold, you know, in in the 80s, tacked onto that, what it sold. We know in the SoundScan era, it sold, you know, 275,000 copies in addition. So, you know, that's three and a half million. It's got to be up four million-ish. Yeah. And it's still only gold certified. It's real, and it's mind blowing that they that they really haven't done anything to commemorate the 40th anniversary of Alive. As much as they talk about Alive in interviews, I mean, and as much as you know, they they pull Alive from the live show. How much of those songs they still play? And on the cruise, they're playing Alive from start to finish. Why? Why aren't you doing something to commemorate it? And you know, there's nothing on the radar coming out this fall or anything. And usually in the fall, they have some kind of release. Like, in, like in 2012, they had that singles box set release or something. And you know, Kissologies have come out in the fall tradition when they were doing those. There's nothing on the radar at all this fall for for any kind of potential release. Not that I've heard of anyway. And it's really with the 40th anniversary of Live being yesterday, it's really staggering that they're not that they haven't done anything to to capitalize on that. That's that's not like Kiss. That's that's the thing that blows my mind is that when they started talking about deluxe editions, they went for Love Gun first, and then they were talking about doing Creatures of the Night. Um, Alive. You know, you've only got one album that sold 4 million copies in the uh, in the U.S., and it, it just strikes me as very odd. And maybe for the Japanese market, they could do a bonus disc of 70 minutes of Eddie Kramer's audience track. There you go. Ken, what do you think? Uh, and have we missed anything that you'd love to see or hear for a deluxe uh, edition? Well, um, I agree exactly with all of you, especially Julian. Um, I would have. I was thinking the same thing, a deluxe set with at least, you know, at least maybe four uh, CDs, maybe a DVD included, right? Um, also a book. I was thinking the same thing. Have you guys seen any of the uh, McCartney archive releases that he does? Yeah, I, I have actually. I did talk about, but I have I have the archive version of Wings Over America. That was another live album I was listening to back in the seventies um, that I, I enjoyed very much. And it's a big, nice, big box. I mean, it's probably about that you know that thick, and it has. The CDs has photos, uh, notes having to do with the tour and, and the whole bit, and it's it's really really cool. Um, so that would have been in there, uh, like you said, Julian uh, King Biscuit. You know these other live shows that they used to make alive. I would have 
wanted to hear all those then you know you know us kiss nuts would compare oh, oh i see what they changed in this you know <laughs> the song or or whatever when they uh, overdub did their overdubs and so on the other thing is yes i agree they missed the boat um it should have been out now it should have been out this week um, and maybe I don't know if that's Kiss or it's the the record label actually itself, Universal. You know, it's that's, probably probably a bit of both is the way I always look at it. So this is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping they're still going to surprise us with some 40th anniversary thing, but maybe do it after the uh, cruise because they're doing the whole alive during the cruise and use that also as part of this box set with a DVD of that live show also recorded. Uh, yeah, so I, I, that'd be that and have an original DVD and a now DVD, 40 years, all this stuff together. I think that'd be so cool if they, if they pulled that off and did that. I know they could do it. I think it, it would sell. You know what really bugs me though? I, I gotta, I gotta say this really quickly is that one of the other bands that really like King Crimson have been releasing these box sets out now from for each of their records. Like they just did Lark's Tongue and Aspect, they did a red box set. And now they're coming out with Thrak, the Thrak box. And I mean, this is supposed to be this huge thing, like 19 CDs, two DVDs, one Blu-ray. And I mean, the one thing that Kiss has never released that I'm just salivating for them to do once in their career is put out some DVD footage of them in the studio making a record i mean come on man like we just saw the only record that we've seen them do is carnival of souls really like come on there's got to be footage of them doing some other record even if it's like hot in the shade i mean come on throw us a bone here like i want to i want to see stuff like that i mean how come bands like them who are not even one-tenth as popular as kiss can have all this footage of them you know they're in the peter gabriel studio they're showing you footage of the whole record being made they're showing you like you know they're giving you all kinds of discs of live shows through the whole tour they're giving you stuff like from shows on dvd that they had to ne- never released and they're doing all kinds of these things like you know uh, alternate versions of songs you know stephen wilson remixes like th- these people can come up with so many great things and yet kiss does a deluxe thing and it's the most boring blandest thing that you could ever get i mean give me a break guys i mean can't you put out something with like even like just take something different. Put some studio footage in of you recording. I mean, I'd love to see that. Well, tell us exactly how you feel. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Put on the DVD of, of uh, Bob Ezrin trying to teach Peter how to play the drums on Stryer. Peter getting all pissed off and walking out. <laughs> People would love that, though, you know? Yeah, and and wasn't there um, an, one of those packages, uh, Ultimate Albums? I don't remember. I, have, I don't even now have it. Wasn't there an ultimate albums for Kiss Alive with Eddie Kramer in the studio, yes. sitting yeah, there yeah. showing, yeah. Move, moving the dials, you know, yeah. upping the audience to get the right blend where he needed it, and you know, talking through, you know, and they've kind of taken the steps in the right direction. But I think at this point in their history, we want more. Um, Kiss Alive, Kiss Cruise, pardon me, where it's going to be alive. That would be a great thing to actually put out if if it, you know, turns out to be uh, serviceable, shall we say? Um, you know, that, that'd be kind of cool. But I think you have to have the contrast between Kiss Alive at forty and Kiss Alive as you know at creation, because they're they're two completely different beasts. With Ace and Peter no longer being there, and with all of them being older, and with them sounding. Oh, and with what? <laughs> and Paul's voice not being there. Yeah. So 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 you've kind of got the that elephant in the room as well. Um you know, to, to see how they do. But come on, go back to two thousand and eight when they did Kiss Alive thirty five. Or was it two thousand nine? I don't know. I can't count Kiss messes up your your ability to do basic math with their counting sequences, you know. Um you know, so they've they've gone out there and done chunks of the album before you know, and then just tacked on Detroit Rock City and maybe something else at the end, Love Gun and Calling Dr. Love, you know. So it's obviously very central to their being. So why do they not care about it as much as we care about it? Well, I guess they've already been paid for it and they've lived it and, you know, they're, they're more interested in other things. But they're they're not making any money off shit that's sitting in the vaults, not making any money. You know, that's that's what boggles the mind. Yeah. 
as as much as they get the label being the money hungry band, you know they haven't put out a, a proper DVD release since Kissology three. You know the only the only thing we've gotten this year is Kiss meets Scooby Doo. That's the only like real tangible Kiss music you know product that we've gotten all year, and it's it's disappointing considering they're they're still touring Europe for the 40th anniversary. They they're not out there pumping any kind of any kind of new Kiss product other than just the usual, you know, crap versions. And the fact that they haven't released a Blu-ray yet is a crime. You know, like, they're the one band I can think of that don't have anything on Blu-ray. Like, come on. Yeah, well, I mean, the Blu-ray, it just speaks of a complete lack of clue, but there may be rights issues with some of those DVDs, particularly Kissologies, that now pre- prevent them from going back and redoing them. So... Everything uh, is negotiable, man. I, I think the cool, not willing to pay. <laughs> I alluded to it earlier that Kiss Alive is kind of the end of the classic era of Kiss in some ways. You know, that they had started off as a simple band with homebrew road crew who, you know, created their effects, dressed to kill tour. It was the last tour with the original Kiss crew. In comes Glickman Marks, you know, and changes everything up after after Alive. You're into Destroyer, and you're into Kiss as the super professional band, you know, creating brand new costumes, the street look, and all those basic elements are going. So that's, to me, why it remains such an important album, Um, mainly because I wasn't there. It's kind of like prehistoric Kiss in some ways. It's just hairy gorilla music at its best. All right, let's move into uh, one other topic, unless you think I've missed anything on Alive. Other than happy birthday alive. Here's to another 40 years. By which time we may get that deluxe set. Yeah. So let's just uh, quickly touch on uh, a, a current affairs topic. D versus Paul. Oh boy. Let's just get some quick thoughts on that. Lonnie. Yeah, it's been entertaining this week. Um, you know, and I, I see, I see both sides of it, you know, that... You know, D, I guess, is a big Kiss fan, and or at least was a big Kiss fan, and, you know, he's just airing his opinion about the current state of Kiss, but, I mean, it's been the state of Kiss for the last 10 years, too. And being that it's been the state of Kiss for the last 10 years, it's kind of a tired argument at this point. You know what I mean? Um, and, and Paul, I think, is right in saying, you know, D just... It's kind of kind of just dismisses D as like as a nothing buffoon. And, um, <laughs> what a buffoon! Yeah, <laughs> well, you know. And when's the last time Twisted? You know, I, I I can't remember Twisted's sister ever coming to my town and, and playing a, a sold out arena. <laughs> I've I've never seen Twisted's sister. So maybe you know. Don't they I do? Think, don't they do state fairs in Missouri? I have, I have not seen Twisted Sister at the Missouri State Fair, no, sir. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, and I, and, but I understand Dean's point of view that, you know, that that, that, makeup, that the makeup should be reserved for Ace and Peter, you know, and pe- people have made the comparison of Kiss like a sports team where, well, someone else comes in, they still wear, you know, a uniform, you know, but at the same time, but if you're a, a great player on a sports team, they retire your number and you don't carry on with that number for someone else to come in and wear. You know, you, you don't see someone from the St. Louis Cardinals wearing Stan Usual or Ozzy Smith's number. So, you know, there, there's, there's that wrinkle on it too. Would, you know, and, and I don't want to turn this into should Ace and Peter be wearing, I mean, should Tommy and Eric be wearing Ace and Peter's makeup? I think it's been entertaining to watch, but like I said, I think it's a tired argument at this point. But why are we bringing up an argument that it's, that's really 10 years old because since 2004 they've been touring with, with Eric and Tommy and why, why are we still going back to that well in my opinion Ken do you even deem the topic worthy of a response <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really I think I think Paul should have just taken the high road and not spurted out you know that the whole band of Twisted Sister was a bunch of buffoons I mean, that's, that right there, that was just opening it up. You knew 
D. Snyder was going to come back and you know think out something, you know, what, you know, and and write it all out, and uh, and so I turned it back on Paul. So he should have just taken the high road and saying, you know, didn't say, you know, don't say anything. You know, that's yeah. his, he should say that's an opinion. That's his opinion. Let it go. It's and let time. it go at that. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, that's yeah. all I can say about kind it. Kind of thank you very much. Your opinion has been duly noted. <laughs> Full stop. Mark. Well, I'm just going to put it this way. I've had the misfortune of meeting D. Schneider twice in my life. Both times, I'll just say that he's a a he's a, oh, he's a he's a douchebag. This guy, okay? <laughs> seriously. Like, and I and I mean honestly, this is all about D. Schneider needing his moment in the sun because we know that God knows that Twisted Sister hasn't done anything credible or relevant since 1984. So this is his only chance to get back into the press somehow because I mean he hasn't done anything, he hasn't released anything that's of note. So I mean. The, this is what he's going to turn himself into. I feel really bad for him because if he's just going to start attacking other musicians so that he gets, you know, some print, then come on, D man. I mean, you're better than that. I would like to think. I mean, it's it, it's it's just ridiculous, you know. I mean, we like you like we all said. We know this is an old argument, been over and re-talked about so many times. Why bring it up again? That's the only reason why. And he's that kind of a person that would do that, you know. I mean, D. Schneider is one of those guys who thinks that he single-handedly, you know, with the whole uh, what was that thing with the Tipper Gore there, the PMRC thing. PMRC. He's yeah, he's the one who thinks that his opinion is what solidified it for everybody. You know, it's like give me a break. I mean, I think Frank Zappa had more impact than you, obviously. And I mean, but that's how he is. He thinks you know it's all about D. And you know. I just think that he's a real twat, so that's I'm gonna just leave it at that. Yeah, I'm full opinions today. But I think in D's mind, though, he still thinks that I think D's so delusional, and in his mind, he still thinks Twisted Sister is one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah. I really do. I really think he, in his own mind, believes it. Yeah, he does. Well, you know, they did have three very good for uh, you know their first three albums are very good. I, I do like them. I'm very partial to the first two in particular. Um, you know, when they're a little bit more edgy than going into Stay Hungry. You know, so it is what it is. I think that the common denominator on this is Eddie Trunk, of course, um, is where this all kind of originated yet again, fitting in with Eddie's agenda again. So it's it's almost like D's been set up to be his stooge, right, because because come on, Kiss and Twisted Sister are two bands that come from a pretty similar outlook on performance. They they're both theatrical. They both have similar kinds of songs. If you look at early Twisted Sister material, it's just good dumb rock and roll that doesn't make you think. It's it's about the performance. Go on YouTube and watch them performing at Reading in 1982. They're just out there killing the audience. Um, you know, with with solid rock and roll, you know, just like Kiss did in their early days, you know, the Alive era. It's the same kind of vibe. It's it's not about being intellectual. It's not about thinking. It's about having a good time. You know, they're they're just riding from the same point of view. So to have a feud between Twisted Sister and Kiss just seems particularly lame. Um, the only thing I'm looking forward to is Chapter Two, Three, and Four, where Mark the Animal Mendoza, J.J. French. And Eddie um, get their time to respond to being called buffoons by the Star Child. So, you know, it's it's one I guess that's going to have a, a little bit more life if people don't manage to just ignore it and say, "Hey, shouldn't call the band buffoons, but D, you are a buffoon." Um, you know, let's leave it there. So, whatever. It's exactly. It, it, it's it's hardly worth uh, yeah. too much time and, on. And it's a tired argument. Yeah, and that's that's. I think that if anything, that's the thing that just bothers me. It's like, but I, but I think why are we going you, back to the same well? Yeah, nothing else does. But I, but I think that you hit the point though. I think this whole problem stems around Eddie Trunk. It just seems like he's this, this guy who's like just poking the barrel all the time. You know what I mean? Like just he's just whenever something's died down with Kiss, he has to poke a little thing in here just to get something started again. Because I, he, I always get that vibe that he still feels you know, miffed that they're, they're kind of blowing him off, 
Paul and Jean. You know, it's like he's taking that so personally that he's taking every chance he can to get something rolling again with that, you know? Yeah, you know, if if you keep the drama alive, does he think that Paul's going to turn around and say, Eddie, can I come on that metal show? Yeah. No, Paul is not that sort of person. He's not going to give Eddie that credibility that he seems to crave wanting to have Paul on that show. And why Eddie is so butthurt all these years on um, about that. Come on. you. If you think about how many times you ask someone maybe to do something, um, if, if you're working in this industry or on the periphery like I do, there are people who I've asked for interviews dozens of times and sometimes they politely decline. Sometimes they not so politely decline. Sometimes they ignore those requests. But you, you keep trying, and you just have to accept that they're not going to go on the show. You're not going to go on and start bad-mouthing them. That's not the way you get someone maybe to do what you hope that they're going to do at some point. You just continue to play nice, and hopefully you remember the reason why you want to talk to them in the first place and just accept that they don't want to do your thing. So, Eddie, you know... Paul yeah. is possibly just not interested in you, you know? Well, well said, well said. All right, let's wrap that up because I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds on Twisted Sister, uh, <laughs> especially especially when we can be talking about Rush if we want to go off on tangents. So that that's episode 36. That's Happy Birthday to Kiss Alive, which if I was to pick one Desert Island disc to go with me, I would take that album easily. That would be my choice. So Ken, Lonnie. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Remember, everyone, come find us on Facebook, Kiss FAQ Podcast, or come over to thekissfaq.com and leave your thoughts and opinions on the topic. We'll see you next episode. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ Podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. We hope to see you again.